Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us this evening or whatever time it is for you all around the world. A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast which is guided for the most part by your questions on the Bible. You can send your questions in through our multiple uh, online platforms that we're streaming live to. Send your Bible questions in, maybe a verse or passage of scripture that has confused you, maybe something you're going through in your life and you'd like a biblical perspective, maybe you know, you'd like to honor the Lord in your circumstances and not sure what the Bible has to say about that, maybe even Christianity as a whole, maybe you're curious about that or even other religions and how that lines up with the Bible, anything along that line, any honest question that you have, as long as you know that uh, I'm going to be fielding those questions, throwing them out here to our lovely guests today and they're going to be jumping into the Word to find the answers to those questions. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. We're very glad for you, the viewer, joining us and sending those questions in. Get them in early for us. We'd love to receive those questions and parcel out the time to get to as many today as we can. My name's Dave Robson. I'm your host today. And like I say, I'll be there on those platforms with you as your questions come on in. I'll go over all those in just a moment so you know all the various ways to join us with us today as well. Pastor Bo will let over here to my immediate right. So your left, how are you doing today? <laughs> doing awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, it's good yeah it was really good seeing you this morning. Serve the the children during yeah. uh, our VBS week in That's the church. Right. And, and you look amazing in your space suit Thank and everything. You. I love it. Yeah, we were doing VBS this week and it's uh, a space theme, stellar theme. And I get to play this astronaut character and got one of those inflatable suits off of Amazon. Good old Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And so I was sweating this morning, jumping. <laughs> Might post some videos on our uh, church site if you want to, for your pleasure. But anyway, yeah, it's so, oh, it's so good seeing the kids just enjoy being at church and, um, and just having a great time, being taught the word and about God's love. And Sarah's doing an incredible job of heading that up, just like she did last yeah. year, you know, it's so good. But yeah, it's neat to see young people like that too, you know, just yeah. uh, young, you know, you know, just adults, man, going at it, really yeah. serving the Lord. That's right. Yeah, she's super young and, and, and just super confident in that role. And Wow, just amazing. So, yeah, we've got that going on this week too. But um, anyway, Bo Willette, thank you for being here yeah, and being part of the show and being willing to field these questions as well. With us as well, uh, you know, a newcomer to the show. I think this is your first time <laughs> with us, he says. That's right. We have a guest newcomer. A new guest, yes, guest. Pastor <laughs> Sean Richards. I'm real nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You should be. Every no. question's going his way. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm kidding, of course. Pastor Sean Richards, been with us for many years here. Yeah, how are you doing today? Good. Yeah. Enjoying the uh, slight change in weather. You guys had rain yesterday, and I show up, and you scared it off. What gifts? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes, and boy, did we have some rain. We had trees come down and all kinds of things and floods but uh but we're here we're here today we made it so thank you thank you sean thank you Bo, for being here we're looking forward to uh, having your questions come on in and see where the lord takes our show today as i mentioned a reason for hope is a live broadcast we're with you monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m here mountain standard time we're based here in tucson arizona at uh, calvary christian fellowship of tucson but of course you can join us all around the world through the wonders of the internet if you keep in mind Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, that'll help you find us if you're looking on various platforms. But you can go to our website. That's a great home base for you, calvarychristianfellowship.com. And have a click around while you're there. We have so many things going on. We have services here, obviously. If you're looking for somewhere to fellowship in the Tucson area, we're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. Pretty convenient location. You're more than welcome to come check us out. Um, and you can look at the other studies we have we have bible studies men's women's studies uh, things for kids support groups all kinds of things going on so don't be a stranger 
if you're finding yourself without somewhere to fellowship. But for the purposes of uh, Reason for Hope here tonight, if you follow the Watch Live tab right there, it'll take you to our live page. Anytime we're live, you'll see it on that uh, page. Um, so you'll see a, a list of upcoming events right there on the right-hand side and uh, a countdown to our next broadcast as well. But when we're live, as we are right now, you'll see the video playing live. You can sign in with a username and um, be part of the show that way. Send your, your questions in on the chat function right there and I will be there with you receiving your questions. If you want to go directly to that link, ccftucson.online.church is the direct link to type into your your address bar there in your web browser or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. We're on Facebook as well. Again, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com slash ccftucson. You'll find us right there. We'd appreciate it if you would uh, you know, like and um, share and all that kind of stuff and like our page on uh, uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship on Facebook as well. And that's another way if you put your question in the chat function, I will be receiving that loud and clear as well. So welcome if you're joining us on Facebook. We have an, uh, an app as well for your mobile device. Look for, you've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. Uh, that's our app right there. There's a couple of Calvary Christian Fellowships around the world, so um, that's the one to look for. <laughs> There's several apps in there, I noticed. We have a channel on Roku, uh, no, Roku and Apple TV as well. Uh, so if you have a Roku Stick or you have a smart TV with that capability or, or Apple TV, or box or one of those things, add us as a channel. Go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship Tucson, and put us in there. You can watch us on your big screen. Uh, of course, we're on YouTube. The channel is called A Reason for Hope on YouTube, so look for that on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. And uh, it's a great place for archive as well. If you go to that live tab, anytime we've been live, uh, it's automatically archived right there. So you'll see the past shows that we've done and services here and other events. And so if you missed the show or you want to recap on a question for your edification, YouTube's a good place to do that. Our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Scott Richards, he's not with us today, but uh, he is on Twitter. Uh, Scott R4H is his handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. You can follow along with him if you're on Twitter. He posts uh, highlights from the show and some uh, shenanigans and tomfoolery, but also commentary on world events and news events. There's so much going on. Uh, especially in the Middle East and things that pertain to end times and prophecy and that kind of thing. It's uh, a great um, uh, resource for all of that to, to how it relates to the Bible. So if you're interested in those kind of things, I'd like to follow along with Scott, Scott Arthur H there on Twitter. We're on Rumble as well, The Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A. We post some videos there. So if you're on that Rumble platform, a relatively newer platform, you'll find us there as well. And then last but not least, we have an email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questions for hope spelled out with letters, no numbers. Uh, lowercase questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can email us there anytime. We get questions through there as well. If you listen to us on the radio, Reach Radio, one of the affiliates, we're glad that you are listening along, but you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se, but you're welcome to use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll get to that question on our next show, Lord willing. Drive safely if you are in your drive time and whatever platform you found us on, we're very glad again that you're joining us. Send your questions in. We will be receiving those and they guide our content for today. It's very exciting. Well, with all that being said, <laughs> uh, Sean, would you like to pray for us today? Happy to. I would love it. 
Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be here. We know that we don't have anything to offer that you don't freely give. We want to ask that your people would be edified, exhorted, and comforted, as your word always sets out to do. And we're honored to be a part of the process. But on the basis of grace, let that be transmitted, received, and ultimately enjoyed as we understand all of these things are gifts from your hand. Allow the people here to not only hear your word, but your voice, and to take away both as well. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sean. Well, unless you guys have anything you'd like to share off the top, we have a, a question that was uh, given by Taylor, I believe, yesterday. We can jump right into that. Yep. And we got some really. questions on the website, email address, and YouTube as well. All right. Great. Well, maybe we'll start with this one, and while I catch up with my housekeeping. That's right. Um, <laughs> we can get to those as well. That's great. Yep. Uh, well, the question from Taylor, um, and welcome, Taylor. You know, you're, you're a regular on the show. We appreciate you being part of the show here. Do you think the Second Timothy 3, 4... Um, lovers of pleasure over lovers of God correlates to the purpose of marriage and fasting from sexuality within marriage or do you think I'm reading into the text so the idea is is you know see is pleasure wrong basically you know is it either you seek pleasure or you seek God or is there a, a right and holy context for pleasure is marriage just a pursuit of sexual pleasure or is there more to it yeah you know those kind of things very interesting yeah topic. just to set the context yesterday you were talking uh, yesterday with adrian about the whole view that people have about sexuality and how it's just this thing to be avoided to be ashamed of to be uh, considered other than what god would have for you and it's kind of become a necessary evil in a sort of way. When we're talking about the passage that Taylor's citing, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, what's being inferred and interpreted by that is that to love pleasure means to not love God. Instead of there being a specific kind of love towards pleasure, instead of a specific kind of love towards God, the two are not mutually exclusive in logic. There'd be a category there, but I won't bore you with that detail. The best way to test an interpretation, if you're reading too much into the text, is to read other texts and see if it directly conflicts with what you decided it meant. And if there are other passages that would, in this case, call you a false teacher, if you were promoting that kind of idea, maybe you went at it at the wrong angle, because not just in one of Paul's other letters, the same audience. We have 2 Timothy 4. Well, if you go to 1 Timothy 4, there was a direct address to this that actually directly conflicts with that interpretation. Let me read it. It says in 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So already in a positive place, he said sarcastically. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, so far so good. Speaking lies, being so unaware or desensitized to the things that aren't of God that you don't even notice when you're doing them. But notice verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then goes on to note, every creature of God is good and to be received, if it is received, uh, with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now, the legalist and the person with the bone to pick doctrinally would say, well, the, the false teaching here is only in reference to food, that the idea of our sexuality and our marriage are two mutually exclusive things, as long as you don't look up Hebrews chapter 12, or is it a 13? Marriage bed is undefiled. Yep. Yeah. So when we're talking 
to people about this subject, obviously it becomes a hot-button issue, not because the Bible has anything against it, but it is so prevalent and abused in that prevalence. So people think that the well's been poisoned, they abandoned the whole venture, and say that these things aren't from God. But the opposite is the case, and if we understand there's a proper context for these things, not just our sexuality, not just marriage, but the pleasure that are both found therein, then we couldn't allow for that that uh, kind of interpretation. But, Bo, we were talking about this briefly before the broadcast. The Church kind of took the former interpretation in history, and definitely to the detriment of their influence on culture, did they not? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the Church history is loaded with all kinds of interesting statements from um, those that we call Church Fathers. And these are people that were very um, uh, uh, influential in church history. So, um, like I'll read one of the more famous ones, St. Augustine, uh, the Bishop of Hippo. And, uh, he wrote this, what is the difference whether it is a wife or a mother? It is still Eve, the temptress, that we must beware of in any woman. I fail to see what use women can be to man if one excludes the function of bearing children. Yikes. Now this is extra <laughs> yeah. ironic because before St. Augustine came to know the Lord, uh, what was his lifestyle? Yeah, and he was a guy who, who tend to really enjoy uh, sexual pleasure with women. Yeah, he was a what we'd call a total hedonist. He lived for pleasure specifically in this Yeah, way. maybe like a gigolo. Yeah, so yeah. if we're to basically wow. look at his personality defect, it went from going so hard one direction, he went basically from Bob Crane to John MacArthur, right? <laughs> if you don't mind the comparison, but if we're talking about this guy who went from a total maniac to a total prude, obviously whatever he's concluding from that text, I mean, Eve the temptress, I, I understand she was tempted, but doing the tempting, that's a bit of reading into the text. The idea of at being a sister or a mother, a <laughs> wife or a mother, there is a difference. Yeah, but we, <laughs> yeah, but all we could say is that church. You know, if you take Second Timothy, chapter three, and that's the question, right? And and this is talking about terrible times in the last days. Mm -hmm. People will be lovers of themselves, boasters, not into parents. They will be disobedient to their parent, ungrateful. It's talking about a life of people that have really refused God. And it talks about those that having a uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And obviously the kind of pleasure here is some kind of pleasure that is apart from the Creator. And, and what Sean got done saying is so important in Bible study is there other passages that talk about the pleasure of God? And the answer is yes. Psalm 36, 8. God says, come drink from the river of my pleasure. Whoa. So God says, and remember, in the Psalms, it also says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It also says in Psalm 16 that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we see that the Bible definitely is telling us that God is a pleasurable being. Uh, Psalm 115 says, uh, verses 1 and 2, God sits in the heavens and does whatever pleases him. He's a pleasing, he, he can be pleased. You know, so the idea of pleasure is not something that was uh, created by Satan. Um, 
it's something that is a part of the good creation. It's just obviously you can you can distort it. Yeah, and Dave, you had a quote from C.S. Lewis earlier before the broadcast. He he made an appropriate observation here too, didn't he? Yes, remind me what I said. Uh, <laughs> your observation of what he said was that there is no bad in pleasure oh, yeah. in itself. Oh, right. Most sin is the right thing in the wrong context. Yeah. yeah. Is that what so, I said? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And he was talking about it. I'm getting to the age where you have to remind me what I said yeah, 10 right. minutes ago. <laughs> when it comes to this situation, obviously, he was interacting with very controversial topics like sadomasochism, people who derive pleasure from the pain of other people, but even acknowledged it's the pursuit of a good thing, but with the wrong attitude. So if we're asking ourselves the question of there just being pure malice for malice sake, no, people are motivated by good things. The problem is our fallen nature discovers them in very abusive formats. So if we're talking about the point he was making in 2 Timothy 3, the subject wasn't pleasure, the, the object was devoid of God. Mm. But if on the other hand we look at other passages like 1 Timothy 4, Again, speaking to the same audience, by the same author, and in the same context regarding the last days, what constitutes a false teacher? Someone who would promote, or rather denote, marriage, where sex can happen in a godly sense, right. all of Hebrews 13. Right. And they would also note abstinence from foods, which was the Galatian heresy, that you can't uh, be Christian if you don't observe kosher law, right? and on and on it goes. But when it comes to this mindset of people have messed with it, therefore it is wrong, I'm the first to acknowledge I see where you're coming from. People that I associate with certain things, maybe the thing in and of itself isn't bad, but just the association with that person, their name coming up, I just don't want anything to do with it. For this, uh, in the case of St. Augustine, he had a lot of negative experience, ungodly experience with those things, and so he went the radical other direction. Yeah. But it colored his teaching to the point where it was contrary to the Bible, and right. we don't want to do that. No, no, absolutely, we don't want to. And just remember, when you pull the pendulum uh, as far as St. Augustine did um, to that level where you start really condemning pleasure— uh, as the church did in the Dark Ages, then you start doing very interesting things when you talk about sex, and that is you start thinking all sex is bad, like Sean is bringing up. And, and then what happened is in the church, then they started saying, well, even if you have intimacy with your spouse in a heterosexual monogamous Christian marriage, you still can't enjoy it. If you enjoy it, then that's wrong. And, um, and even if you look upon your spouse's nudity, even that's wrong. Mm. And the church has done that in the past. And it, it, it's shocking if, if, if you go through church history and you read about how the church authorities have um, really mixed this all up. Yeah. But you know, the main thing to understand of what Sean's getting at is that in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, the big doctrine of demons is the abstinence it's abstaining from marriage mm -hmm. it's it's that's the teaching it's to abstain from marriage and the sexual union thinking that that is somehow evil when mm -hmm. when the sexual union is something that was actually created by god 
and it was a part of Adam and Eve's life even before the fall. And he saw all that he created and that it was good. That it was good, that's, that's right. right. And there's a, an incredible, awesome theology with that. So. Yeah. so going from the negative to the positive, what then should our attitude be, not just in regards to pleasure, but the purpose of marriage and sexuality? Well, the best place to start, and this is for me speaking as a single guy, is First Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. This is the will of God, not subtle your sanctification, that you should abstain from sex? No, sexual no, immorality. Tw there's 12 letters after that, right? <laughs> sexual immorality. Well, what's sexual morality? What's the positive case? Well, you can look at Hebrews 13, you can look at Song of Solomon, you can look at Genesis 2. What God made in the beginning, man shall be joined to his mother, uh, leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. We don't want to go the Corinth route, right? Yeah. But, uh, where was I? But and Isaac, let God I mean, join, let not yeah. and separate. That's the point. Yes. But if on the other hand we're going to note, okay then, so what about this angle? Does it fit within that definition? Okay, what about that angle? Does it fit within that definition? When it comes down to it, that's the point. If we ask ourselves then, well, can't that be skewed a little bit? Now you understand why the immorality is the issue. We're looking for workarounds of the proper use. Just like this book is intended for reading, not for blunt and concussive force, I can do that, but it would break the book. It would misuse its intended purpose. If I were to use this computer in an immoral way, it would break it. If I were to use people in an immoral way, not just in terms of sex, but manipulating them through deception, through false doctrine, uh, usury, using them for money and so forth. That would be abusive. That would be immoral. So if we have a proper definition, just note that. But if we go the route of, well, there is a wrong way to do it, therefore it's a wrong thing, that's a false teacher doctrine. That's yeah. a doctrine of demons, <laughs> according to Scripture, and I, I'd avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So pleasure is good, but it's got to be rooted in the right spot. Right. You know? Yeah. There's also a big, along those lines, seems like now these days in this culture, a lot of comfort, like a, the, the pursuit of comfort, and the pursuit of like the easy way towards things. And if something's hard, then it's probably not for us and that kind of thing, it seems. You know, I don't know if I'm generalizing, but it seems like back in the day, people knew how to work hard and work for what they have. And, but these days, like, oh, it just seems like a lot of work and I just want convenience, you know, and everything is just right here for me and that kind of thing as well. well and I can fall into that in my life too, just wanting, you know, the comfort of certain foods, the comfort of media, the comfort of my couch and, you know, the easy way. Well, and you could even use this logic here and say, well, you know, Philippians 4, verse 7 says that, you know, the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If I don't have peace in it, then it's not from God. I don't have peace and hard work, therefore it's right. not from God. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, there's another passage, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, where it notes that if he doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And he right. repeats that again in the letters to Timothy. So yeah. the point being made is test those interpretations because someone's got an agenda here. Yeah. I, I uh, empathize with wanting a break, but at what cost? Truth? It's yeah. not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 3 is really, uh, uh, it's kind of a uh, Paul um, critiquing uh, the religions uh, apart from the saving work of Christ, um, trying to get to God, uh, being a teacher, um, and that's really what's in view, right? These are the kind of people, he says in verse 6, that worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-ailed women. Uh, he, he ref 
uh, meaning these are leaders. These are somehow leaders of religion. And Paul says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They're not plugged into the who is the power, which is God, which is Jesus, yep. and the 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 Holy Spirit. They are teaching gospel or um, uh, a, a message apart from the the grace that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, it's a works-based mentality. So all it produces is self-righteousness and. Yep. And self, and that's what he's referring to: ungodly lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. It's all about self, yep. you know. And like you say, it's all about their thing and their comfort, their whatever, you know. Yep. Uh, Christians should be Jesus-centered. We should be that. It's about Jesus, and it's about what Jesus has done on the cross, and yep. it's about the resurrection that Jesus brought. It's about the sanctification work that Jesus offers us. <laughs> you know, it's all. That's where the power's at. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So um, that's yeah. what. That is what's the contrast yeah. in Second Timothy three, right? And what does that mean? You brought up about peace because that's a that's a big thing we say in Christianese. You know, like I didn't have peace. What does that mean to to have peace with something? Because it like like we're saying, it doesn't always mean that it's the easy road, mm-hmm. you know. But what does that I mean? What does that? How does that translate? Which is it's an important thing because as we're praying about direction, the Bible doesn't contain every detail of our life, so we're praying for peace in a certain direction. What does that actually look like when God gives you peace with something or well, not? Peace of God. And that's that's very specific. Peace mm. meaning a lack of conflict. If you're in alignment with God's character, there may be conflict with those around you. And certainly when Jesus uh, was, you know, going head to head with the religious leaders and stuff, there wasn't a lot of peace that was being promoted there, right. yet he was having the peace of God, yeah. which passed all understanding. He yeah. was able to answer them soundly, he was able to refute their arguments, and he was able to give a proper witness of the Father's character. So if we have an example in the life of Jesus mm. that contradicts with the desire of, well, it's just everyone likes you. Yeah. And they hated the prophets who came before you, and Jesus said, blessed are you in Matthew chapter 5. That right. definition doesn't fit. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a sensation or a lack thereof of emotion. Jesus was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I, I don't know a lot about uh, peace per se, but hematodrosis is probably not that. Yeah. If we're talking about emotions, hematodrosis, for those of you who aren't uh, medical experts at home, that's when you're sweating blood. It's an actual condition. But if, on the other hand, we're going to go, okay, peace with God, what does that look like? Line with the character of Jesus. I do all things that please the Father, that yeah. he looks on you and says, that's what I did. <laughs> right. And that's the point. So if we're asking, you know, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, it can include emotions. It can include comfort, but it is centered on truth. Yeah. And, and there'll be other questions that'll center around this, so I'll kind of give us a little usher out in that direction. But if our understanding of what God is doing isn't first governed by his word, we're deceiving ourselves. And that's what we first need to understand, testing all things and holding fast to what is good. How do we judge and test that? What he's already said. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I had a brother in Christ actually ask me that same question the other day. Really, yeah. Yeah, it was that idea of like, well, man, you know... um, you know, what about trials? Like, does, you know, does peace, having the peace of Jesus meaning the easy road? Like, ha- you know, and the answer is, of course, no. Yeah. Right? Um, and and yet, yet there is so many passages. I was just looking at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Mm. 
right? That you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm, right. And so it is a fruit of that love. Love, joy, peace. Yep, yeah, right. that's right. It's in there. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, pe- there, you know when, when God's guiding, there, is a, there should be a peace yeah. that's in our life. Um, and it doesn't mean we don't wrestle. We, we don't, uh, we don't, we, sometimes we get that mis- kind of uh, a little bit of a mistake where we think that uh, the lack of wrestling with God or going through a trial, you know, like is peace, right. you know. But what peace is, is no longer in enmity with God. Mm. Yeah. Is that, and that's the big distinction. Right. Is that there was one time the Bible says uh, in the New Testament that we were in enmity with God. Yeah. Might be in the book of James that mentions that. But um, enmity is a neat word, right? Mm-hmm. It means we were literally against. Yeah, an enemy. Yeah, an enemy. Yeah. And, and so now we are at peace with right. Christ. Right. You know, we're at peace with God. Yeah. And so coming back to that grace relationship with God, you know, uh, knowing that even when you're in the trial, you know, that God's with you and that God loves you and that, yeah, there's work to be done in our lives and boy, they're, they're, that's so true, right? Yeah, yeah. And God's heavy hand might be on us, you yeah. know, meaning he might be disciplining us like a father does the child. Yeah. But it's grace. Right. It's grace. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not enemies. Yeah. You know, as the book of Hebrews says, we're sons and daughters. Right. You it's know. love, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, very good. That makes sense. Right. Moving on? Yes, cool. moving on. Good, Pat. <laughs> well, thank good. you, Taylor, for that original question. That sparked yeah. quite a discussion here. But Yeah, I love it. Uh, question from uh, Troy um, about Amos uh, five eight. Did yeah. yeah? Did God name those stars, or did we? Because they're named after gods and goddesses. Yeah, uh, let me read the passage. This is verse eight. It starts in verse five, but we'll forgive that. Uh, he, it's referencing God, made the Pleiades and Orion. He turns the shadow of death into morning. He makes the day dark as night. He calls the water to the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So in the context, the prophet Amos, Amaziah, if you prefer full names, he is making a point about the majesty of God, and he mentions him creating not just the stars, but mentions two constellations. Now, I, I wish my father were here. Unfortunately, he's out of town. He's a backyard astronomer and a fanatic about this sort of thing. <laughs> but the Pleiades isn't just called that, that sometimes called the Seven Sisters. It's sometimes called just the Seven. In fact, in the Hebrew, that's what it's just presented as. Orion's a tricky one, though, because that's in a reference to the hunter. Now, that can have a broad meaning across cultures, but the one that's most associated with is in Greek mythology. Now, the Theogony, the source of a lot of Greek mythology, is dated as early as around the 700s. Bo, you you did a detailed study through Amos. Do you remember when he was prophesying to Israel? Mm, I I thought, uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to say it was like 700 uh, or so, I thought, B.C. So around the same time that these things are actually being put into writing. Mm-hmm. Now, it can give or take a few decades, but as far as Jewish interaction is concerned, they didn't have a Greek translation, didn't have a need for a Greek translation of the Old Testament until around the three to four hundreds. We call that the Septu- 70 or the Septuagint. That's right. Now, what's also interesting about that is obviously the Jews weren't in a 
isolationist vacuum. You obviously had to put a lot of effort if you're going to travel. But this influence of cultures was something that a lot of people read more into than it's worth. And if the Bible translates terms that's referring to the same thing, we go into the Hebrew, you're not going to recognize it. The, the term Orion in Hebrew would literally be the fool and the seven. But the Hebrews reading this would understand that. If you were to say, well, what stars is he referencing? You, you know the constellation Orion? God made those constellations. He made the stars. He made the sun, the moon. He can decide the day is as dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea, pours them out. The Lord is his name. The point of emphasis of this passage is, and you could note in verse 5, to seek the Lord and live. Don't go to these special sacred places like Bethel or Gilgal. Don't seek out your family history. Go to the Lord. He'll lay everything out to be meaningless, but the contrast, which is oftentimes what Hebrew poetry ends up doing, is saying, if God made these things, he can accomplish far more in your life than our attempts at even identifying these things. Now, the question oftentimes gets brought up, uh, this constellation is also named in Job, is that the name that God gave those things? Whereas we read in the Psalms, he numbers the stars by name. Or did we just come up with those names and God has his own private name for those stars. Well, there's two options we can go as far as interpretation is concerned. Yes or no. If it's yes, that God also named those stars and that we, after the fact, associated those names with pagan deities, nothing's changed. A reference to a hunter doesn't suddenly become pagan because they wrote a story with a guy with the same name. It's like, uh, you know, the most recent uh, Spider-Verse series where you got a bunch of different Peter Parkers, but it's very different mm -hmm. as far as which universe they're in and so forth. Likewise, just because God put the letters in the order, as we would understand it in English, Orion, the hunter, the fool, take your pick, that suddenly, oh, someone wrote a story about Orion, so suddenly God made something pagan. No, we made something pagan. That interpretation wouldn't fit. If on the other hand, he has a private name for it, and his word just condescended so that he used a term we recognize, nothing's changed. Yep. <laughs> God's just noting, I made the stars. And he uses terms that we would recognize, the seven and the hunter, in order to communicate that. So either way you go, it's not a controversy. Just make sure that if we note our options, we do so not in a way that assumes the negative. Could God use our terms? and communicate a point. Yes. Could God have his own terms and we miscommunicated that point over time? Also yes. Either way, it's not uh, God giving credence to Greek paganism. Yeah, it's interesting. You look up the Hebrew, you know, in the Strong's, and I was just, I'm not a Hebrew scholar no. or nothing. Um, but, you, you know, you just kind of go into the, the Strong's concordance and look up the Hebrew and, you know, this this word kima. Uh, that's used for uh, Pleiades, you know, a cluster of stars. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's um, it, the seven. Yeah. And then uh, if you look up Orion, um, uh, a heavenly constellation. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, like you say, so, um, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, a uh, good question. question. Yeah. Thank you for laying that out for us. And Troy, thank you for that question. Appreciate it. Uh, you've been part of the broadcast again if you're if you're joining us so you're welcome to send in your questions on the bible through whatever platform you found us on or our email address questionsforhope at gmail.com and we'll get to as many of those questions as we can today question from sim how do we test prophecy that isn't easily found in the word of god how do we explain things the bible doesn't say 
I guess we don't have much to go on. <laughs> <laughs> really. Yeah, the secret things belong to the Lord. Right. <laughs> oh, man, but the things revealed belong to men. You know, uh, it's a good question. Uh, I think this is a question that's probably an important one because in church uh, culture, um, there is something called the gift of prophecy. And you first want to define what that is. Um, and that's an important uh, defining. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, how would you define that? Well, it comes from the passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Don't despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. The gift of prophecy, like anything else, uh, most spiritual gifts, if you hear that topic, go to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. You'll probably have it mentioned if it's not just plainly obvious what it is. Gift of administrations, I think I get what that is. Gift of healings, I think I get what that is. Gift of prophecy, okay. What's that? Well, prophecy, according to 1 Corinthians 14, is someone who speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Yeah. And when he's making this point, he's emphasizing not just what describes prophecy, but he's using a word, prophet, prophecy, someone who speaks on behalf of another. The word literally means a spokesman. So if we grant that words mean things... (laughs) Uh, then let's uh, just kind of carry together the two definitions. If they claim to speak from God, and it speaks the way God speaks, edification, building someone up in knowledge, exhortation, building someone up in action, comfort, appeasing someone emotionally, bringing them down, then that would pretty much characterize when people are rightly saying, I have a word from the Lord for you. Now, Plenty of people have horror stories of what comes after that, which is why Paul the Apostle has to remind the church, don't despise them. Because just like we were talking about earlier with relationships, there's also the reverse stat. Okay, because this is abused, does that mean it's always wrong? The gift of tongues is another good example. Just because entire churches are built on a lie, does that mean that we should never welcome that kind of spiritual activity in our church? The answer is no. God's allowed to do what he does. Just because people abuse it doesn't mean there's no right answer. So what's the right answer? Well, recognize, like we said earlier, what God said and what God is going to say. Then you'll know what God is saying or what he isn't saying. If it's what God said, it's going to line up with what he's saying. And if it doesn't line up with what he's saying, yep. he didn't say that. Yeah, yeah so so <laughs> this, is, this is a good rule of thumb, um, you know, is that when you hear something, we— just compare it with what you know has been said in the Word of God. Um, You know, the Bible, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. Um, Is it something that lines up with Scripture? So when someone comes up to you, though, in a church, or uh, say a leader gets up on on the stage and says, I have a word of prophecy for you. Yeah. And, and, and they say something that's kind of, you know, I, I understand the person's question. It's kind of vague. It's like, uh, well, you know, you don't really know, you know, it's not really what they're saying is so much clear in the Bible. It's kind of right. just, uh, you know, the first of all, is it really a prophecy? Um, and that might be, that's what Sean's talking about when he says it's uh, a church is built on a lie. What he's talking about is that they might not have the right definition of even 
uh, what they're calling prophecy. Yeah. That's why we brought up 1 Corinthians 14, 3, mm -hmm. because that is where we see the definition. He who prophesies speaks in this way. Right. And so if they're not speaking edification, exhortation, mm -hmm. and comfort, then it's not that gift. Right. They might have a word of knowledge. Someone might say, hey, you know, I'm really being pressed upon in my heart that, you know, um, you know, someone here is, and they might say something really specific, mm -hmm. you know, and you go, man, that's me. And, you know, and, yeah. the, and they might be calling it just the wrong thing. Yeah. You know, it might be a word of knowledge, but it's not, it's not prophecy. Right. And most of the um, time, the guy speaking it doesn't even know. He's just yeah. incorporating that as a point in his message, and then someone gets upset afterwards in private. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so, but, you know, the Bible says test all things. You know, don't despise like we saw in, in Thessalonians. Yeah, and um, despise in the Bible because I, you know, I think of despise as hating something, but it means yeah. to go around, right? Yeah. If you despise something, you just go around it, you ignore it, you yeah. pay no attention to it. That kind of yeah, yeah. kind you of don't dismiss it as a principle. That, that, that's it, a yeah. dead body. We don't touch that. That's a prophet. We don't touch that. Right. That, that's the wrong attitude. That's despising. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and don't make a whole, you know, religious movement out of. It, if it's not in the word, <laughs> or yeah. as at least it have. hasn't given the time to verify. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And sometimes what's what's interesting is sometimes in church culture, uh, we fail to um, go back to the New Testament, and especially the historical book uh, of the Book of Acts, and go, is this something that we see that was in the Book of Acts that mm. took place? Is this does it seem? And was this taught in the epistles? Is this like a common teaching? in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, and a lot of times what we do in churches sometimes is not even seen there, you know? Right. And so we have to be careful that right. we're, we're actually, you know, doing what the Bible says. Like for instance, the greatest gift we know is the gift of what? Love. 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 Yeah. yeah, love. And people, we fail to remember that. Yeah. So it's like you can speak with the tongues of men and, and of angels. angels, but you have not love, right? Yeah. People so, use that passage to say, oh, well, this nonsensical way I'm speaking in tongues that contradicts 1 Corinthians 14 is actually the tongue of angels, so now it's okay. Yeah, but, but you know, but the point being is that we know for certain that the greatest gift is love. Mm -hmm. We know for certain, Jesus said, they will know you. They are gonna know you're my disciples by your love right. for one another. Right. And so, you know, I would stress that in the church. Yeah. Like, hey, why don't we learn to love one another? <laughs> yeah. And if we can get loving one another down, then hey, maybe we can start venturing out <laughs> in some others. Yeah. You know, but if you can't get love down, then the other gifts, yeah, no point. Right, and we love new. I've you seen know? in my life, it's a flesh thing that we. I mean, for me, I like new things. I like to get something new, something from Amazon coming in the mail, <laughs> or just a new, a new yeah. ministry, a new yeah. venture, a new yeah. whatever. We got, we new got to the Bible too. <laughs> Here we're going to read the book of First Nephi. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we want something new, but just the, like you say, just to love one another. The things that's always been spoken in the Word. Yeah. Just to be faithful, and I've seen faithfulness. God just wants those faithfulness, and sometimes that can be the motivation. Like, oh, we're a new, got a new word from the Lord. Like, no, yeah. just do the old stuff. <laughs> yeah, just love, love God, love your neighbor. Yeah. And it's not that those other gifts aren't real; they are real. Um, but we can't again get the cart before the horse. Right. 
you know, loving one another. That's where it's at. That's yeah. the greatest gift. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, full honesty here, I've had people come to me and members of my family with words of legitimate, by the way, personal prophecies that would apply specifically to us. Didn't mean we didn't examine it. We found out it didn't conflict with anything that God was saying and that it wasn't building us up to be more than God's word says we are. I could receive that. Now, I don't go around establishing, well, I kind of did, but that's another issue. But you don't go around establishing a ministry built on, I've received this personal prophecy and the entire Bible is now to be read from this new lens. No, I was saying, that's fun. God said something audibly. Uh, He can do other things when he wants, but this is something nice when it was not even necessarily needed, but given as a comfort. If on the other hand, you hear these people using it as a mask, to just say, here's what I want to say to you, and I'm going to tack God's name on it, so you have to give me a moment of your time, because it's the only way I seem to get attention nowadays, I wonder why, is, of course, not the gift of prophecy. So back to the question, when we find something the Bible doesn't say, well, then it's not prophecy. That's a false prophet. If we hear something the Bible already said, that's prophecy. It's just being contextualized for us. Forth telling. Yeah. And if on the other hand, the we're word. encountering people who are going, explaining things the Bible doesn't say, well, you can explain it very easily. It's not true. But if on the other hand, we're going to just hear something from someone, that's not prophecy. That's just information. That's just conversation. Someone comes to you with a thus saith the Lord, that's when things get serious. That's when everything needs to be examined, and that's according to God's Word. And it's either going to be plainly obvious, like, I know that reference, just like the gift of tongues. It's not going to happen legitimately unless I know that language. That's weird. You don't know that language? Oh, here's what you said. God's going to make things work decently in an order. But if, on the other hand, people are all coming up with 1 Corinthians 14, a new prophecy, a new interpretation, a new vision, a new tongue, two or three at the most. (laughs) Let this be the way that God has always set it out to be. Don't make yourself out to be a bunch of maniacs because God's not the author of confusion. Right. That's right. Well, Sim, thank you for that question and bless you for wanting to um, test these things and and walk in the truth. It's a great question. Thanks for sparking that. Yeah, that discussion. A question from Yari here. Um, An evolutionist said that we will eventually achieve perfection as we evolve more and more uh, and the universe keeps expanding, it will eventually achieve perfection. That How do I respond to that? <laughs> Why do you have to? I, mean, I was going to I was gonna say that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, we're like chomping at the bit, Yari. <laughs> yeah, but we don't have time for that question. <laughs> we're like, ah! We're gonna, no, it's such a good one. I mean, that's I, my experience. I just yeah. get more and more perfect yeah, and but, just feel you know, better. And yeah, atrophy is nothing. I just see, yeah. Yeah, but, you know. getting better. By definition, evolution is an infinite uh, progression. Yeah. So you can't you can't achieve perfection because you're using the term evolution. Right. So it's a contradiction it of ding. words. Yeah. Uh, kind of ideas. If you're saying uh, you know we're going to evolve until we hit perfection, well then it's not evol. You, you know ev- evolution is continually yeah. evolving. <laughs> right. So there is uh, you know it, it, you can't say that you're going to get to a some point then all of a sudden the mechanism of evolution is just going to stop yeah you're going to keep <laughs> mutating in a positive sense which by the way never happens yeah. and then you'll eventually just have no need for further mutation through an unguided force that will unguidedly yeah. cease because it's achieved some undefined standard here's the point yari someone brings up something to you you don't always have to answer it yeah. someone can just say something stupid and they can live on with 
they could live with themselves. Yeah, I think, and I think so, you know, and, and you know, it's like, uh, and I, I totally have been, you know, I'm not a bright man, um, and uh, <laughs> but I know what love is. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, for uh, us. and I certainly have said so many stupid things, and um, and 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 it's just sometimes I never thought of kind of logically what I was saying. You know, and, and Yari, I have no doubt that I said something like that before in my life. If God were to do the replay of Bo's life, you know, <laughs> I bet you I said exactly that. Like, you know what? We're evolving, and one day we're going to hit this awesome, euphoric, yeah. you know, I could see myself saying that, you know, but I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking logically. And we have yeah. what's called laws of logic. Um, that if we didn't have laws of logic, we couldn't actually speak coherently with one another. We all know that there's laws to logic. Um, and yeah. when we just think about what's being said, we can see if they break the laws of logic. And yeah. this one does break the laws of logic. Because right. logically speaking, evolution is continually evolving. Yeah. So it, it's not going to hit a peak and then just stop you know and it's not linear it's not universal it's not and by that i mean it's not all set on one definition agreed on by everybody right macroevolution there's structural adaptation there's obviogenesis there's intelligent design yeah there's lots of different ways but people like me uh growing up that uh really like i said said some stuff that was really not logical at all we, I didn't know about macro in evolution. I didn't know about micro evolution. I didn't know about, you know, uh, um, you know, these different ideas and these different thoughts and theories. And, uh, you know, those things just weren't on my mind. I just regurgitated things, you know. And I, I feel for, for people today because you get online and you get on, you know, one of the YouTube things, and man, and you just get these things on your feed, and you just start clicking, 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 yeah. and you just hear so much information that it's really easy just to kind of regurgitate what someone said. Yep. Yeah, is the world ending? Is uh, climate alteration finally <laughs> achieved its peak? No, it's summer, you dingus. It, it, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and, and, and thing is, is we want to be gentle, you know, um, and, you know, so... You know, we definitely don't want to be, um, you know, we're we, on this show. We're trying to be gentle. <laughs> trying. And, yeah, we're doing our best to be gentle with, with this, knowing that, you know, gosh, you know, me too. We're, you know, God, when I was, when I didn't know the Lord and there's a lot of things I said that I, I had no clue what I was talking about at all. Yeah. I didn't read any books. And, and you know, a lot of times I'll ask people today uh, that, claim to be progressive and secular humanist and I'll ask them what books have you read and 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 these are college students and many of them just don't read any they're like me you know they're s- totally like I was mm. you know didn't read really anything on really the subject matter yep. I just was regurgitating things that I heard right you right. know so um not everyone's owed an answer yeah not everyone's owed an answer sometimes all you can do is just uh, try to point out that the question itself, um, you know, what that person's saying is not really logical. Yeah. And um, they might not get that, you yeah. know. Um, you know, uh, so, but, um, yeah. So evolution by definition uh, of evolving yeah. is... It's, Keeps evolving. And if there is a perfect evolving. standard, then that leads to 
some kind of higher being that's saying this is perfect you know and then you open that can of worms and really that's what it's about it's evolution is it's a great theory um that excludes a god you know if if, if you don't believe we're created and there's a higher power then evolution is a great you know it's a great theory i mean how else would we be here we had to start somewhere or theistic evolution but yeah. you're not allowed to say that. Yeah. yeah. But there's that. I mean, and then there's Christian evolution. Some yeah. Christians not try Christian, to throw theistic. evolution. Yeah. yeah, theistic. Yeah, theistic evolution where God, you know, there's yeah, evolution, but he's still evolution. over there and that kind of thing. But yeah. But um, not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and it's a huge. It's a huge uh, bag of worms for sure. But um, well, with about five minutes left, um, Bo, you you have some books in front of you. Yeah. Uh, you'd like yeah, to share and, some and of that sometimes, with us. And and I know um, the other day you shared a book on dispensationalism, um, and um, I want to make sure that we point out that book again. Um, so this is dispensationalism before Darby, and this is by William C. Watson. Mr. Watson. So that's a book that you can read. And dispensationalism again is kind of a big word but it kind of yeah it is it is a big <laughs> word but you know when you think of dispensation it's 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 a way of looking at um salvation uh, salvation ages, scriptures yeah. yeah god works at different times in different ways and uh, that's kind of the idea besides dispensationalism is that uh, there are certain periods or times or ages uh, where God's working in a certain way. There's a certain economy to in, within mm. which God is working. And so we see the big ones is the old covenant and the new covenant. Yeah. And those people might go, oh, I get it, you know. Right. Um, and then there's different covenants in the Bible. And, uh, the, uh, so anyway. and the purpose of this book isn't necessarily to argue for it. It's to essentially put to rest the idea that no one taught a view of the end times that's become more popular today, the pre-tribulation rapture theory. It goes in the definitions of things like premillennial versus postmillennial futurists and all those other fancy words. But the goal is to show a lot of people throughout history, going as far back as Ephraim the Syrian and, to be smarmy, the Apostle Paul, all the way to modern-day teachers in the 18th and 17th century in particular to show that the myth that you're going to hear a lot on the internet, no one taught a rapture until John Darby said this little girl had a vision and then he built a church on top of it. No, when it comes down to it, there's been a lot of different views about the end times and we don't divide fellowship over it. We certainly have conversations about it. We certainly judge someone's consistent handling of scripture through it. But when it comes down to it, the goal of this book is just to clarify to people, hey, this is a lot more diverse in thought than you think, and there's been reasons people have had, not just in their current circumstances and communities, but also their cultures, also their ability to access certain scriptures over others, and on and on it goes. But it's it's a, almost a borderline dry book, because just one quote after a quote after a quote after sure. a quote. But the point of emphasis is, okay, you think this because you heard it on the internet. What book have you read about this? This is a good one because it just gets you information. Yeah, you and if you, like if you've ever heard Pastor Chuck Smith, if you've ever heard even John MacArthur, um, uh, um, uh, Schofield, more older uh, guy, Schofield Bible. If you've ever saw the Schofield Study Bible, Schofield was a dispensationalist. These guys are all dispensationalist mm. teachers, and so. 
Um, don't think this is something weird that Sean's talking about. Another book that Chuck Smith always recommended is this book right here, this little book called Haley's Bible Handbook. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a great little resource uh, that Pastor Chuck always uh, encouraged um, you know, uh, future pastors to get and leaders and just people that really want to study the Bible. It's a small little book, Haley's Bible Handbook. It's a very cool kind of um, summary of the books of the Bible. Some really wonderful facts in there. Small but really thick. Look at that. Yeah, book. super thick. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's on the Bible, so yeah, it's, it's on at the least Bible, as long. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pastor but, Scott gave that to me when I came on staff. But yeah, it's got yeah. pictures and all kinds of cool things. Hey, you love picture books. I love right? it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no, pictures. I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily agree with everything in it, but it has oh. a lot of information. A lot of great stuff. I mean, a lot of good stuff. And it's, you know, I, I love books that are kind of simple. You know, they're not, it's not too much reading in there, you know, for chapter and that's something to look at into yeah. and then another book that uh pastor scott always recommended was a book uh by charles ryrie uh called Ryrie. basic theology mm -hmm. and if you've ever heard of systematic um kind of theology and this is basically putting together the bible doctrines into a system um and uh, so kind of categorically organizing mm. biblical doctrine. And so if you've never gone through a, a book like uh, Ryrie's uh, Basic Theology, and this is a popular systematic guide to understanding biblical truth, then you might want to get something like mm. this. And, um, and again, it, it categorizes things, it puts them into a nice, easy format, mm. a systematic format, Yep. And uh, and that that way you can look into you know the, you can kind of further your Bible studies. Nice. You had me an easy format. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's it. Sean, thanks so much for your time today. Bo, as well. We've got yeah. a great show, great discussions. Thank you for your questions. Yes, thank Join you. Join us again tomorrow. We'll be back here same time and same places for more of your questions on the Bible. Thank you once again for joining us on a reason for hope. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.